0: You are listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Today we'll be discussing Igros Moshe, Evan Ezra Chelik, David Simintes Zayin. This is a truva from 5737, written to a recipient. of Moshe describes as a Rav Hanichbad Ma'ud but doesn't identify. Um, and there were a list of questions on personal status issues. Uh, the first of which is, So a woman uh, shows up and her with her mother's ksuba, and her mother ksuba says that at the time of the marriage that led to this daughter's birth, the mother was a divorcee. But we have no independent evidence uh, of the nature of the mother's divorce. So do we take the ksuba itself as evidence that the mother's divorce um, was valid, or we can see there's one other way to, uh, to analyze it. So Moshe says, uh, And he gives more details in his answer than there were in the question, and you have to sort of negotiate uh, exactly what was known. A woman is coming to be written down, uh, to be married. So that sounds like not the usual American context, where a woman comes to be married by a particular Rav, but that we 're dealing with a bureaucracy where there 's a list, so that exists in israel i don 't know if it exists uh, in Europe, um, but it, it changes the nature of the of the, um, of the conversation somewhat because we 're trying to set up uh, procedures right? it 's very unlikely that we 're dealing with a specific case we 're dealing with a not uncommon phenomenon and we 're trying to figure out how to deal uh, how to set up policies for issues like that <laughs> So Moshe says her mother was previously married to someone else. He doesn't tell us whether we know that the mother was married by someone uh, to someone else first independently, that this is a second marriage. If we know that, do we know that from the daughter? Or do we know that generally? It's not clear how much that would change the, um, the halacha. The framework of Moshe is functioning in, uh, the basic principle of halacha is that if a woman is not known to be married, then she is presumed to be eligible to marry. And if such a woman, uh, with that presumption, comes in and says, I was married but divorced, so the principle we apply is pesha asaru hapesha tier that since we would have no way of knowing that she was not permitted, that she had ever not been permitted to marry, had she not told us that she had been married previously, uh, so... If we believe her about that, we have to believe her that she's no longer married. Right? That's a basic principle. All the evidence to make her unmarriageable comes from her, um, and she, and her word um, provides. Uh, if we believe her, provides sufficient evidence to allow her to marry. So then we allow her to marry. In this case, says clear Moshe um, says clearly that her mother was married to someone else first. Probably that means that we know it independently. If we're dealing with a place with a list, so the mother's previous marriage is probably on a list. It could be the daughter herself um, told us that. But now we have the the ksuba testifying um, to the divorce. The daughter is not independently giving evidence that her mother was divorced. She's just presenting. Uh, she's just presenting the ksuba. So we don't have a pesha hitir. It could be that we wouldn't apply a pesha asar a pesha hitir in this in the context of somebody walking in off the street and trying to get married without in a- in a space where marriages are public they have a call and it would take us fifteen seconds to find out that the mother was previously married. the mother is known in our area to be previously married so Right. Obviously, when you know, obviously you know, otherwise, a uh, woman from I don't know if we thought we were in England, women from London could walk into uh, Rabbi in Liverpool and say and say this, and the Rabbi would say, "Well, it's true that you know." Five minutes later, I looked it up on the internet. Nowadays, right, I discovered that mother, her mother had been previously married, but you could game the system that way. I think um, so. We're not going to treat it that way, right? right? Saying that we know it only from her means that um, that in this place where she is. The knowledge of her mother's of her, well, in the gemara's case, the knowledge of her marriage comes only from her. Okay, but here we're dealing with the daughter, so that um, so again that complicates it. So the and the pesha the, the pesh asar may be many things. The only thing that drives us towards permission is that the ksuba says on it matrachta. Um, so the ksuba um, claims that the second marriage was uh, was valid because the mother was previously divorced. So Ramosha says Pashut, it's obvious, right? Shima uh Shimaya Masader Kedushin Rav Shuh Sh um Sha Dua Sh Ainl Al um Al D Sha Ainlismok Al Divara. If the rabbi who arranged the Ketubah is a rabbi who knows enough to know that he can't marry somebody just because she claims to be divorced. Then what we Ramosha says, what we can say is Shivada Yeshonit, Shayala Starptura the Rayasharsha so we can assume that that rabbi would not have done the marriage unless he had sufficient evidence. So the ksuba now becomes um, valid evidence of the, of the marriage, and we can, and we can treat it, the ksuba as if the rabbi who arranged the wedding is testifying that uh, it was a valid marriage, and therefore the daughter is also valid to marry. Um but if the person who arranged the wedding was not a rabbi, and custom in in uh, many European places was that marriages were not performed by the rabbi, and apparently not even performed always under the authority of the rabbi, but that other synagogue functionaries would perform um, weddings. So if he was a chazan or shamash, so he might know how to conduct a uh, conduct the wedding rit- ritual, but he would not know. Um, that you can't uh, allow a marriage just on the basis of a claim of divorce in a case where there is prior independent knowledge of um, of, uh, of the prior marriage. <laughs> so if that's the case, so then right, the, the, Ksuba just te- well, the most the Ksuba testifies to is that the woman told the shamash that she was divorced, but the the mother doesn't have credibility and she's not even in front of us so we have to go find find the get but that is challenging Um uh, the daughter here the, right the mother may not be alive or they may not be talking to each other how are we supposed to find the rav um who did who did the get it's very important to keep the receipt um for the get it's very important for Bate din Um, to make sure that their records of Gittin are passed on to successor, but into some sort of central repository. Um, I think that the Hebetin of America has such a repository. Uh, Too often it's the way doctor's offices used to be, that that a Rav somewhere does Gittin, and he has a file cabinet, and when after maybe Esterim he dies, uh, his heirs simply throw out the file cabinet, and so uh, the same thing happens with, you know, a woman um, had had her tour, um, and then she gets right, and then um, she loses it when, when she dies it 's not no one knows where it is um, it 's really much better if we maintain a central registry uh, of Gittin and um, certainly, but they didn 't have a responsibility to ensure that their, uh, that the records are passed on okay, but that didn 't happen here, so Moshe says we have to try to find out who did right, who did um, who did the, who did the get, and then if it turns out the person who did the get we can f- discover. Um, there are ways to do that. If the mother is still present, uh, we can interview her and try and get details, although often it's very fuzzy. Um, we can find out where they lived and then try and find out what uh, what batidin were active doing getting for in those years. And I have done all these things, but sometimes, you know, sometimes you're um, not lucky, but you're the beneficiary of uh, good work. Uh, I know in Baltimore I had that, where, you know, where one Beitin passed the records on to another, and so a current Masada in, in Baltimore happily um, found, the, uh, found the records of a prior Beitin from many years ago. Um, but you do always have that luck, but okay, that's our first job, right? You have to investigate, and you have to find the Rav who did, um, who did the get. But it's only if it's not known at all that, that the mother had ever been previously married. And the mother would have would have said, "Well, I was I was married, but I was nisgarashet." Then we believe you um, if uh, because a pesha a Then Ramosha throws in the line that we're analyzing. If there's a reason that you can't clarify it further. Now, that is not Medina de Gemara. Um, so, one wonders where Moshe gets this uh, idea. So, the answer, I think, is that in the time of the Gemara, there, you received the get. There wasn't a formal receipt procedure. Um, and there weren't safe deposit boxes. And documents, you tried your best, but documents could get lost. And so, if you had a Pesha Aserhu Pesha Itir, there was no reyesa, there was no reason not to, right, to question it. The fact that the woman didn't have a get was in the absence of positive evidence, but wasn't negative evidence. Uh, whereas Vervo Moshe might think that, nowadays, the absence of a get is, the absence of a, of a sh- not a, a get, but of a receipt for a get, uh, specific- particularly if you can't identify the betin that we did the get, that already function- makes us nervous, and so we'd rather find out, uh, whether in fact uh, whether in fact there was a get um although if we can't find out and and there 's a reason we can't find out there it sounds like he's not satisfied well we tried to find out, and we can't find out, but that could just mean she said I was divorced somewhere in the continental United States um now here the problem is there here there, here there isn't really a reissa. you can't say that because what should the daughter do um to ask mothers to hand down their their um, their receipts for getting uh, their pturim to their daughters reliably that seems like a that seems like a lot so if we had a way of saying a pesha or pesha here, I think we would do it here um, we, um, I think that would be it, but we don't have it because right, the daughter's testimony isn't enough to be matir so we have is a really terrible situation where um, where probably the mother thought well I'm remarried now so, so it was an orthodox wedding. How could anybody possibly question the child of an Orthodox wedding? Um, but Ramosha is, because he says, How do I know? Right, since Orthodox weddings were not a carefully controlled um procedurist who could do them, the existence of a Ksuba, even a very you know perfectly valid looking Ksuba, doesn't tell me that I can trust this as evidence of divorce. Um, and so we did right again, this is a theoretical question. So Ramosha says if such a woman comes, you have to find the Rav who is Masada. And it may be that Rav Moshe is writing this. Uh, again, it's a country which has lists in a country where you know that there were only 40, uh, there were, there were only 40 rabbis who did Gittin, and we have all their records. Um, I don't know what Rav Moshe would do if the rabbi comes back and says, look, you know, the woman was a from woman. I don't think she would have gotten remarried without, um, without a get. And the rabbi wrote divorcee. He wouldn't have done that if she hadn't told her that, right? So Rav Moshe could have argued um, something, something like that. Because um, Although, yeah, you know, that's not true. We didn't ignore We don't give the woman name on us. So that wouldn't, you know, so that would make, that would make us nervous. Uh, so we don't know, really, what Rav Moshe would do. Um, but he has one other line afterwards, which is really interesting. He says, U ha-davar, And in general, can we um, permit uh, a woman to remarry? If her get was done by a rabbi who's Yurichemayim Shemayim, it's not so clear. Now this is not what was at any part of the original question. The original question was just a woman shows up It says, Mantrahta. we don't know. So Rav Moshe says, investigate and again, I, I assume that he would do a lot more if the investigation came back and said, we can't find uh, we can't find out which Rav did the get um, as long as right, it was as long as long you still had reason to believe there was a get, if you think the entire thing was made of whole cloth, okay but now Rav Moshe says um, although this was not part of the original question, what happens if you find out that she did a get but she did a get against somebody whom we don't perfectly trust halachically Rabbi Nachshon frames as we don't trust is you're a Um It doesn't say that we think the person is an ignoramus. I think it was uncommon for rabbis who really didn't know what they were doing to get involved with um, with Gittin, but we don't trust them to be so punctilious. Uh, maybe it's just a polite way of saying that they're ignoramuses, but I don't think so. So what are we supposed to do? Rav Nachshon says, okay. But we know that he is a Rav Charedim, I think, is roughly equivalent to what we would say. He's right? a rabbi who's recognized as Orthodox. So now, what are we supposed to do? Um, and Rav Moshe, you know, here the challenge is that the question dealt with the daughter, and now Rav Moshe seems to be moving into the question of the mother, right? Would we allow the mother to remarry based on such uh, based on such a get? But that's not really such a serious question, because in most cases we could rewrite the get if need be. Um, so really the question is, what happens, I think, is what happens if we investigate the daughter, and now the daughter standing before us with a ksuba that says matrachta, and we discover that her mother was divorced in the bezin of a rabbi who doesn't have a great reputation with us. So Moshe says really interesting things. And again, I, I focus again that he's, he's dealing with instructions to a rabbinic bureaucracy and not what to do in a specific case, because I'm sure in a specific case Rav Moshe would have moved heaven and earth. But what he says as a policy is Kashela Again bishvilze. It's uh, it's hard to make the woman an Aguna, um, which is the case, right, but really we're talking about, you know, in in our case Mamzeris as opposed to an Aguna, although she's not a Vadae uh Zeres, so, probably, right, so we probably so we we it's not clear she could marry anybody. Uh, so that maybe that's what he means by igun, right? We're going to make this poor daughter unmarriageable at all. It would be hard to make her an aguna, because uh, because her mother, if, if I'm right, her mother had an Orthodox get from a questionable rabbi. Why? So we resort to formalism. He has the name of an Orthodox rabbi, and therefore we have to assume that he is kosher, and therefore we have to assume that his get is kosher. That's the step. Um, but we can say, look, if he has a cheskos so then obviously somebody with a cheskos kashrus wouldn't produce a bad get. Um, every get. Every get coming from him also has a cheskos kashrus, because if he would in fact knowingly produce a bad get, then he doesn't have the cheskos kashrus either. Okay. And then Rambosh says something even more radical. He says, V'gam, kevan shinispashtu sifrei sidre gittin ba'olam. Since the books which tell you how to do gittin have spread in the world... It's really unlikely that the get was that bad that on a biblical level it's puzzle. It's very likely that it doesn't satisfy all the rabbinic requirements, but a bibli- biblically puzzle get, when you have um, a you know, paint-by-number kit as to how to do a get, um, you have pictures, you have instructions line-by-line line in the Kavanaki, um, so he would say, you know, you know, that we we can presume that if there was a get, then you can permit her to marry, uh, if you have no way of clarifying the issue, based on a get from a beitin you don't, um, you don't trust. So that's a, that has radical implications on the policy level. If it turns out that retrospectively, we're going to accept getting from a uh, batidin that we don't like, as with all issues, if, you, if people take advantage of this policy, if, you know, if, if shoddy batidin set up and say, well, look, everyone's going to trust us, because Moshe said so, that will create a reaction where we'll say, no, right, the, you know, the kind of people who, who set up those kind of in, we can't, we can't presume it, we could find ways in which there might be a psol de despite the, um, despite the chazaka, because they're a in terms of intent and issues like that, that, uh, that would not be covered by the books. I, I think there are many cases like this where people try to, where there's a, there's a psaq that works well post-facto, but if it becomes the basis for future action, it's unlikely the psak would survive. Okay. Um, what does it add up for us here? Um, so in if this is really all part of the same case, so the issue is, what are we really worried about when the ksuba says matrakhtah? Um So Rabosh initially said that the... We're, uh, that maybe the, the the masader is somebody who know right who doesn't know that they can't believe the woman at all, uh, which means that maybe the divorce is fictional. If the divorce is fictional, this last move of Rav Moshe doesn't help at all. Um, but I wonder if Rav Moshe didn't really mean that we could say, well, we don't know that the get happened at all, but it's much more likely that the right, that, that even a Shamash or a Chazin, would ask for evidence of the marriage. That much they do know, um, on the whole, but they wouldn't, they, right, they would, ex- you know, if, if they are people who aren't experts who are doing weddings, they probably either can't aren't are competent to know which getting to accept or wouldn't care. So what we're really worried about here is that the the statement of Matrachta Naksuba testifies to a get, but not what kind of get. So then editor says, okay, so I'm going to assume that an orthodox rabbi would only accept a get that was plausibly valid by orthodox standards and now we can say well the right so now that now even right even though the ksuba doesn't testify that there was a 100% kosher get but the ksuba can be treated to some extent as testimony that there was uh, that there at least is no now we're talking about the Rabbanans. Now we're talking about right now the woman is a suffix the Rabbanan. Now there's lots more room. So I think that what Moshe, the kind of guidance Rav Moshe is giving to this bureaucracy is, look, it's right, the first thing you do right if you don't have any evidence, but the Ksuba, so then right then we're beyond then we're beyond standard right. The first thing you tell a bureaucracy is somebody comes in the Ksuba says matracha they don't know anything about their mothers their mother's divorce try and find the Rabba did they get. If you can't find any trace of the get, I would think you is saying, call me, because this case is beyond what you can do. But, he says, what will happen, you know, probably, as significant a percentage of the time, is you'll find out that there's a get, but it's a get from a baited that you don't really trust so much. So, again, if the woman were in front of us, and she hadn't remarried someone else um, in between, so we would just write a new get. But, here we're, but if you're dealing with the daughters of people like that, so says in those in that case, you have to try a second move, and the second move is that we are going to post facto uh, accept except to get if it 's um if it 's plausibly orthodox and i 'm arguing that maybe in some cases we 'll say that we 'll allow just ksuba if we couldn 't find the rabbi at all to te- right that now we 're going to say that okay, the major concern. Is that the Ksuba doesn't testify to a get that's Gashad Rabbanan, but at least creates um, odds of a Ksuba Diareisa. Now, why does Rav Moshe do this? So one way, one reason Rav Moshe sets it up this way, I think, is that it's just sympathy for Agunot. We don't want Agunot. There are going to be Agunot if we, right, because there are unfortunately there are women um, who get um, getting from these uh, from these questionable did and we're better off not creating a good oath, it's, it's, right, that's sympathy. As I point out, right, that's a psaq. I think Rav Moshe is only willing to do post-facto and probably only in, um, in cases where there's an innocent mom, uh, mom's there later and that this is the kind of thing where it's not a good idea to call someone's bluff that they'll say uh, that if you do it too often, then they'll stop saying it. But I think there's a, um, there's a deeper issue, and maybe I'm projecting to Rav Moshe, which is what kind of moral responsibility do we have not just to a gunot but to people who act in good faith within the boundaries of what we call our movement our community uh, so i've taken the position in um in uh, many cases that if a woman went to a recognized orthodox rabbi for conversion or divorce at bef- right that at the time she went if she had called uh, all, the Orthodox, all the Orthodox rabbis in her area, they would all have said, yes, we agree this person is Orthodox. Um, and she does this in good faith. And the, right, there's no way she could know that this isn't going to be accepted throughout Orthodoxy because the rabbi has an Orthodox smicha and is recognized by Orthodox colleagues so that behind his back, people are saying, well, yeah, but we don't really trust him. He's not a great, he's not, he's not great Yerusha Mayim. There's no way for her to know that. Um, so she's acting, and there's no way for her to know that, right, there's no system which says we only accept these rabbis, and so if you go outside these rabbis, even though they're Orthodox, we're not going to accept it. That is wholly unavailable to the, um, to most lay people, and certainly to marginal lay people who are doing their best, right, but, um, to get, to get a universally acceptable get. Uh, so my argument has been that we have a moral responsibility as an Orthodox community, to ensure that people who acted in good faith don't get hurt by the, because of information they could not reasonably have been expected to know. Um, and therefore, conversions done by rabbis, even if we would not now, um, we might, if someone came to us in advance, we might say, well, you know what, those are not standards that we accept. And we might say nowadays, people going there, uh, going to them, know, right, because we have a public, various public systems that that um, is fairly well known, that not all Orthodox conversions are accepted by all other Orthodox rabbis for good or for ill. Uh, right, that's a separate question whether that's right or wrong. But even um, right, even you know, only moderately connected lay people are aware that this is a uh, this is an issue. You know, that everyone when they come to a for conversion, the first question they ask is, will your but will your conversions be accepted by Israel? So they know that it's not universally um, accepted. So I don't think we have the same moral responsibility anymore. But when people come to um, to Beitin saying, "My mother was converted by Orthodox Rabbi X in 1973." And at that point, Orthodox Rabbi X was the rabbi of their community, and it was a recognized Orthodox community. All, you know, all the representatives from the vote used to go raise money there. Nobody suggested in their speeches to the public, please give us lots of money, but by the way, we won't accept your rabbi's conversions. I thought, uh, right, that would, no one would have said anything like that. So in those circumstances, in addition to the general sympathy for Agunot, I think that there is a moral responsibility to take what I call taking responsibility for the um, for, for the community that you belong to, and if you're not going to take responsibility for it, then um, right, really, you shouldn't maintain the name or the claim to continuity. Uh, so it's possible that Ramosha is hinting at that uh, at that idea here. Uh, I certainly would like to have Ramosha's support for my position.